The design industry is really small and people always remember how you made them feel. And so like I always encourage like the people around me and the people on my team to like don't be an asshole because like you will be known for that. You're listening to the Mouthwash Podcast. Hey guys, this is Alex uh, with Mouthwash. It's just me and Mackenzie today. Hello. Um, the other two said they're too busy or something. <laughs> um, but it's raining in LA. We're still in quarantine. Um, yeah. Coffee Cough. intake has increased yeah, exponentially. Just super dehydrated at all hours of the day. <laughs> um, we're talking with uh, Tori Hen today, who's like a really good friend of ours. Um, she is an amazing graphic designer and creative director at this point. Um, has done a lot of work for... Um, Agencies like Red Antler and Google Creative Lab and is now the creative director at Figma, um, which is really sick. Um, I met Tori on Twitter like three or four years ago, just joking back and forth. And now our uh, interactions have kind of decreased. <laughs> but, uh, but I don't know. Like, yeah, we're we good to talk. Hey, Tori. Hi. I think you said like all the things that I was going to say about myself, <laughs> but now I don't have to say that. <laughs> um, yeah, I do remember, I was just thinking actually earlier of like when we met or how we met. And I remember yeah. thinking like, oh man, Alex Tan, famous on Twitter. No. And, then, <laughs> and then you started replying back to me. I was like, oh shit, okay, cool. Oh man, I'm in the cool circle. No, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I think maybe Ani like was our mutual connection oh, or something. Yeah. yeah. And then I realized you had like a really... Um, sarcastic and dry sense of humor like me so it was just, just worked out it was yeah just worked out. <laughs> yeah. i was uh yeah no i mean i'm it's so funny how like a lot of my good friends now came from the internet i know and oh, yeah. that i really care about and i'm like yeah and then you said like we are our, our uh, contact has decreased which is true but i feel like I whenever we all come back together it's just as beautiful as it just always is normal yeah. yeah yeah i feel bad for like people who don't like use the internet as a means to like make friends especially in this time like oh, what are yeah. they doing like just like, <laughs> literally everyone we know is from the internet and that's how mouthwash started and that's how we know each other right yeah i mean i've been extremely online since i was like 12 and <laughs> i know no other way i literally haven't logged off since i was 12 <laughs> yeah. no but same i actually yeah. have it the internet has helped me cope with life for the past right like 17 years oh no. god oh my right. god yeah. that we're trapped inside for months right i know but i feel like it's actually not that different for a lot of people because a lot of people i know just stay at home anyway and on the internet me too right. though so right nothing's changed we're all the same <laughs> except, for, except, for, except for the only difference now is that like all these people who normally are outside are now inside on the internet complaining about not wanting to go or not being able to go outside I kind of like the internet when it was like just us dramatically tweeting about like design. <laughs> the internet is too crowded now. Yeah. yeah. I know. There are a lot of people now on um, some of my coworkers who have like never used Twitter before. Like right before all this started, we're like, I got a Twitter. I was like, well, good luck. Good riddance. <laughs> like this is the end. Good you just said hello to the end. Right. I I did notice um, today I was actually going through for some reason going through old tweets of mine and noticed how like polite I've become on the internet 
And mm. I feel like Alex, when you and I met on the internet, I just was so much, life was just so much more colorful in the sense like, I don't know, Twitter well, was a honestly, lot less popular. Yeah. I, oh, I, I've like also calmed down on Twitter a lot too. I feel like I had a lot of like hot takes and like yeah. a lot of like, emo I'm just going to emote tweets, especially emote tweets. But it was yeah. just like, what can I do to like disrupt everybody's day to day? And now I just don't think I'm, I'm much like that anymore. But, yeah I well i mean i think i mean for me i've i still don't tweet about design and i don't enjoy tweeting about design which i think always disappoints people when they follow me um right. these days because they're like oh i'm gonna get like thought leadership i don't know i don't think they're gonna get it. <laughs> but then i'm We're just like here. i know right. and then they're like wait she's just tweeting about almonds or like pandemics i don't know like <laughs> cool yeah. well let's get into it um I want to know about you and I feel like, I mean, we've, you know, met several times and I've hung out in New York mm-hmm. and San Francisco and all that stuff, but I kind of want to hear from the beginning and, um, kind of, yeah. Like what, what got it all started? Where'd you grow up? Uh, how'd you end up where you're at now? <sighs> the beginning, my memoir. Right. I, I, I was born in Florida. Um, and, um, so I, yeah, I was born in central Florida to an immigrant father who's from the Middle East. He's like Mm -hmm. a Middle Eastern mix. He's from all over. Um, and a very like white Southern mother. Um, I grew up in like a very small Christian town, um, and actually had a Southern accent until I went to college. Um, that, yeah, I went to college in Rhode Island and just beat it right out of me. Um, still say y'all, but you know, there's not much left. Over from that. Right. Um, yeah, I like, I don't know. I mean, I was always very shy as a kid and always really mm, like introspective. And so I had, had a, had a natural pathway to art and like expressing myself in that way. And so, like I said, like I was on the internet at like 11, like 10 or 11, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started using Neopets. I don't know if uh, anyone, yeah. yeah, come on. Uh, I started using Neopets. That is how I got my start in graphic design. Thank you to people <laughs> at neopets.com. <laughs> Shout out. Um, and from there, I just, I was like making, I would make graphics online for in exchange for Neopoints. Oh, and man. thus started my, serious? yeah, no, uh, thus started my like <laughs> client designer relationship skills. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so like like we were talking about making friends online. That was a super familiar thing to me by the time I was a teenager because I was on the internet seeking solace from my daily life in which like school was really hard for me. Um, growing up in the South as like a, you know, brown girl, uh, not super easy. And so I got bullied a lot. So I would like turn to the internet to, to sort of make community. And yeah, and I found like art and design that way. And I, I did that through school, like in high school, I did AP art and I really didn't know that I could do that for a living. Um, but I did apply to one art school or a couple art schools, but I ended up going to Rhode Island school of design, um, for college, which I think in my hometown was a little controversial, um, Mm -hmm. To go to art school was like, why would you throw your life away like that? Right, right. <laughs> um, and I just design was just not for where I grew up. Design was like not a was not something that people did commonly as a job. So, um, yeah, I went to college, and RISD was was very very difficult, very great, taught me so much, and um, I did find like graphic design as a sort of 
area of study when I was there and I connected it to like, oh my God, this is kind of like the stuff I was doing when I was making like live journal designs and <laughs> Neopet layout, like something clicked and I was like, ah, oh, this is how I can communicate with the world. Um, and so, yeah, I like did graph design there, lots of RISD super traditional. So it's like super um, print heavy at the time I was there, at least it was like super print heavy. Um, lots of like critical thinking and, and design theory and stuff like that. Um, and not a lot of like specific vocational education in terms of mm-hmm. um, like, here's how you make, you know, your freelance career and here's how you write <laughs> uh, contracts and none of that stuff. Right. Um, but more of like, you're like just alt principles. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. And then I, I graduated school and started working pretty newly in branding. And like, I truly don't really know how I found my way to where I am now, um, mm-hmm. but lots of like loose ties, I guess. I don't know, have you guys ever read this book? It's called The Defining Decade. It's written by Meg Jay. Uh-uh, no. I haven't. Okay, well, this book, it sounds scary because like the, the, the byline or the tagline is something like how to make the most of your 20s. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. No, thank you. I know, so it's like a lot, but I had it on my shelf for like four years or something. And I finally read it at the end of my twenties. And there was this, there's this part in it about like loose ties and how like in your life, loose ties are some of the most um, valuable connections you can have instead mm-hmm. of, I mean, not that value, not like your close ties aren't valuable, but like you end up getting like jobs and opportunities from maybe someone you met like once or twice or someone right. you talked to like once or twice or something. And that is truly how I've gotten like all of my jobs and opportunities by just um, kind of investing people and talking to them and, and listening to them and learning. And um, aside from, yeah, like I applied, I think I applied to my job at Red Antler that I got many years ago. And that was like one of the last jobs I ever applied to. Um, since then it's yeah. just been like, yeah, the internet and friends. Right. Yeah. We, yeah. We, it's funny. Like you talk about like not like applying to jobs but also like not even really looking for the next job. It's like, it's interesting mm-hmm. how important relationships are that carry us from like one thing to the next. Like, it's not to say that like, if you're applying for jobs, you're doing something wrong or anything like that, but it's just like a really cool, it's cool that life can work that way, almost like against the grain as to which like the rules have been set out for. It's like the rules say you have to apply for this job and then be picked. But there's like situations and circumstances where like people kind of just, give you that opportunity, which is like, I think what everybody kind of is looking for or hopes for in some capacity. But. Yeah. I mean, I think that's why I actually think that the design industry is really small and mm-hmm. I'm by no means tell people to like, you know, be fake or anything, but I think that people always remember how you made them feel. And so yeah. like, I always encourage like the people around me and the people on my team to like, don't be an asshole because like you will be known for that or like someone, some, all it takes is like someone talking to somebody else and like it puts an X on your back. Um, and I think that just so much, not that you should be opportunistic with every connection you have or the friendships you make, but that truly like you can develop like so many new skills and meet so many people. But like if you, and if you don't take that seriously, I think you actually harm your career to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Like nine out of 10 times will always, pick the freelancer or like someone on set or someone who is just generally pleasant to be around versus like the best in the industry. And I think it always pays off just like, it's all about being a pleasant person to work with, like you said. Yeah. And like being able to communicate with them as well. Like, because it's all like, 
problem solving, right? Like nobody is good enough to where you never, you like, you can't hire like the best designer in the world and, and think that you're not going to have to at some point talk to them or like solve a problem with them together. So really like the thing that Trump's skill set is like that person's compliance or like ability to like see things differently or, you know, a number of things that kind of like make people easier to work with. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think flexibility is like a huge skill and to be able to be like compassionate towards others um, and just to understand that like you're not the only person in the room. Um, So like we all have to find a common goal. I mean, I think you all are a really great example of people working together through like unconventional sort of um, connections or like you guys are friends and all of you. Right. I mean. Um, or it started out of that and you just liked working together. And I'm sure that you've learned, I'm actually curious to learn like certain like things that you have gleaned from your time with mouthwash and like stuff you've Mm -hmm. learned about working with others and how it's changed your friendships or relationships. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think we're like in a really interesting and unique situation where like, like even our, so like, it's like us three, like Mackenzie, Abe and me, and we're all like, really close friends so even when we're not working we all like hang out all the time and then our like extended friend group the people who are right outside of that and the people that we hang out with all the time either like we hire them as freelancers or like my roommate peter is a music artist and we do a lot of his creative and so it's like this interesting like circle and balance of learning how like people say don't work with your friends but i think it's been just like so beneficial and how we understand each other as people and like Mm -hmm. i wouldn't say that like the whole idea of like you should be able to go to work and then come home and turn it off like i don't know i just like when we have a disagreement at work we have to learn how to deal with that outside the workplace mm-hmm. right like how to be friends outside of that and i think it's just really taught us a lot especially like being young in our career like i, I think some people go through their whole career not learning how to deal with people or like avoiding people or like waiting till it's five o'clock until they can go home so they don't have to see that person till the next day um yeah i don't know it's like an interesting it's like something that we're in the middle of and don't think about a lot. But yeah, it's yeah. interesting when people ask us. It does come like fairly natural to us, but I think that's because we've just been doing it for so long and mm-hmm. we don't know any other way. Like we've never like hired someone that we don't like know or like it's just always been this way. So we're just like very used to it at this point. But right. I would say like it has grown our skills in like everything comes down to the interpersonal relationships of the team and everything comes down to like communication and so i mean even after mouthwash and after you know whatever comes next if there is something next like those are going to be huge skills that we've taken away for sure yeah i mean i think like it's a special i'm not not that it's like a special case but i feel like it's sometimes on a it just depends who the people are and like how you all work together i think for me personally as i've never started something with Mm -hmm. others like i think you all are like you know sort of forging your own path and creating your own thing which is intense and and also amazing um and then for, for for me i've never done that so i've only ever like had to build teams or hire teams like within a company right. for me i've definitely seen how it is difficult when you hire friends if they are below you like if mm. there's a hierarchy oh, yeah. in place it actually i just think like fucks with things yeah um, and that's where i'm like ooh, i actually don't when i first started out i was like oh, i want to hire all my friends and i want all my friends to work with me <laughs> and then after after you have one experience where you are yeah. literally in a higher position than a friend you're like oh, yeah this is very difficult and it's gonna right. ruin a friendship potentially yeah. yeah that is hard yeah yeah hierarchy is hard i probably we probably shouldn't talk too much about that <laughs> I don't, I don't know. no but i mean like yeah like we we 
I think it's cool <laughs> too. Like, there's like a level of maturity, and and obviously it's like the politics of the workplace in general are always going right. to exist. But it's just it's cool that like we've given some of our friends an opportunity and like have hired them as freelancers, and they kind of understand that they're kind of like working under us in that moment, and then sometimes we'll be working under them. I don't know. It's just it's just like a you know like this cool like yeah but it is hard it's very hard yeah um i want to talk to you about um uh i don't even know what to call it but can you talk to us a little bit about women of graphic design which is something that you started oh yeah um it actually started when i was in college and Mm -hmm. we had a um every student had to do like a thesis project in graphic design when you were graduating so it was born out of my my degree project um Mm -hmm. in which i was kind of exploring a lot of issues around like gender and sort of how i felt like my experience growing up had been impacted by just me being a woman um, in the south and like how that changed my understanding of the world and then when i shifted the lens to be like all right how is my experience as a woman in graphic design different or impacted like by my gender? That's when mm. things started to click for me. Um, and so I took a lot, I took a look at sort of the, the um, curriculum that I was being taught. And I tried to understand that, you know, most design students are women. I think something of like 80% of design students in the U S are women um, wow. In my school, in my school at the time, 71% of my of students were women. So most of my classmates, um, but we were only being told about like 10 women, like in the history of graphic design and like what exists out there. Um, very few women. That, and I remember being like, oh, wait, am I like not going to get a job when I graduate? Is that just the thing? Like only, you know, male graphic designers or men get jobs. Um and then I found out it was just like really a education problem. It was like a problem of visibility, lack of exposure, lack of research. Um, and when I opened my eyes up to seeing like, oh, the whole design industry is kind of like this. Um, 14 yeah. per- like I found that like 14% of creative directors are women, um, which wow. is a very low number. So Women of Graphic Design was really started as a platform um, there's a car alarm going off, so sorry. But uh, no, when, when I Craft Design started as like a platform to explore not only the work, but also the contributions of women in the field of graphic design. Um, and I, one year in, was joined by Kathleen Sloboda, who runs a book press called um, Drawdown Books. She's mm-hmm. so incredible. She was like, a, she did um, archival work at Yale. Um, and so we worked together for many years to grow that project, which we had big hopes for it to become like a publication, uh, maybe a lecture series. And um, we both, you know, had full time jobs and lives. And so we ended up putting it on pause um, because like six years after it just was like, are we doing the things that we want to do now with this? Um, but it taught me a lot. It honestly created community for me. I was so always um, pushed forth when I would talk to like students and and educators and also just like people who are young and working in design. And they were like, oh my God, it's so cool to see all this incredible work that happens to be made by women. That was always my thing. I did not want to tokenize women and be like, hey, we're just going to put your work on the blog because you're a woman. Um, Like, no, like there's so much incredible work. um, And there are also tons of women. So um, I, I think it was for me, like such a huge part of my sort of theme in, in making my career because it stuck with me ever since. Like I couldn't work on a project like that and then 
go work at like heavy, heavy male dominated places because I would feel like this cognitive dissonance of like, no, this doesn't feel right. Um, right. And that's just only grown since I've kept working. And it, it, women of graphic design, though it is like on hiatus and on pause, I just like think about it all the time because even when I am searching for people to hire or freelancers to hire, it's just like, it is harder to sometimes find women, meaning that, or even like not women, but people who are just like not white men because it takes longer and you have to search yeah. deeper because they don't get as much exposure. They don't get as much visibility, but it is yeah. worth it. Um, right. So that, that's kind of like a, a little spiel about that project, but um, it's still really dear to my heart. It's the thing I'm like most passionate about still. Yeah. Do you feel like, um, like, I feel like there's like, all of this conversation around like equality with women and just equality in general in the creative yeah. space specifically, do you feel like, like, do you, have you seen progress even just since you started the project to now, or do you feel like it's still this huge like hurdle that, that we really need to move past? I see some progress, but it's a little, it's small. Um, yeah. and that's just the truth. I think for like any type of equality, um, it, it can feel like, oh yeah, we're definitely not in like mad men sort of style days, but at the same time, I think the sexism is still rampant. It's just a lot more subtle perhaps, mm. um, to like the untrained eye. Um, for me, I find it still as much of a hurdle every single day as it was when I started the project. I've only just become like more aware of everything, yeah. I do think the difference now is like these movements around like me too and, and things like that where people are sometimes like so terrified to do the wrong thing and they want, they want to be recognized as like, Oh, we're like an equal opportunity employer and like very, very sensitive to that. I think that sensitivity has increased. Um, mm -hmm. I just don't know if it has led to like actionable change just yeah. yet. It's yeah. almost like a, like it could almost be like used as like a front or something to like get people. I don't know. Like you don't want to speak poorly upon people because you know, like everybody's trying and we're trying and we're not even the totally. best at you know, equality in general. Like I think it's all like a battle everybody's going for, but it's, it's so much different to like, like look at all you look out and like, okay, all these companies are saying they're equal opportunity employers. So we have to say that too. But like how, like it goes, so much deeper than just saying yeah. it. Like you actually have to like take action on that. Cause you look inside of a lot of companies or studios or whatever. And there's like still, I mean, most of the designers are, are still, um, you know, not inclusive of female and leadership. It's really leadership. I feel like mm -hmm. is like the biggest issue. Yeah. I mean, that's true. Like leadership is overwhelmingly um, skewed towards men. Um, mm -hmm. Still, that's what I find. Um, I think it's interesting because a lot of places you're right have been like, Oh, I, there's pressure. Like we need to be really have a diverse workplace, um, or have a diverse like recruitment, uh, recruiting process. But the thing is that like, you also have to create a place in which, um, a diverse set of people want to work. Like you right. can't just hire, um, for diversity. You also have to create inclusion, like create opportunities for people to succeed. And that is actually, I think the most difficult part, because if you didn't build your company's culture to be like that, it's just so hard to like put a bandaid on it afterwards. Right. Yeah. Right. I always like think about it, even like as we're like, as I've been a woman in like different studios and different agencies and stuff like that. And even now just like try like selecting people to come on the podcast and like all of this stuff, like it's kind of like a chicken and the egg situation where I can't figure out like, it's not that there's un there's not as many talented women, but it, like I don't I can't figure out if it's coming from like 
women not being empowered when they're in the studios and the agencies like to rise up to leadership like it like where is it starting where is it ending like it's this whole complicated mess it seems um but it's I really like we love having you on and talking to you especially because you are a woman in leadership and like you do kind of instill this like culture do you feel like it's been um like is this what roles in the past have you had in leadership that have led you to this point uh, well, this is my first time being a like titled creative director. Um, mm-hmm. In the past, I haven't had like mm, I would say this is like my most my, <laughs> my big girl job. Like this is definitely <laughs> like my first job, my first task of creating a team, building a team, leading that team yeah. um, in a formal sense. Yeah. Um, in the past, I've had opportunities to lead projects from a pretty young age, and I worked at Red Antler. I had a fantastic design director I worked under named David um, David, and I was accidentally called him David. Um, um, And he was so great at like offering me opportunities to lead projects. And, and I was like, I think like 23 or or something at Mm -hmm. the time and kind of fresh out of school. um, But really gave me so much autonomy and like instilled so much in me and so much trust in me. And that, that made me want to work really hard for him. And so working there at Red Antler, I got so much good experience with like presenting to people and leading my own work. And I think that gave me this little like taste of it. And I was like, Ooh, yeah, like I I like leading. Um, but I also love empowering a team. I really think there's like a lot, a lot of times in my, especially my early career, I would see like creative directors act as this entity that has a vision and then they lead a team that executes their vision and their vision alone. And I found that to be like very boring. And I knew that when I became a creative director or a leader, I didn't want to lead that way. Um, I wanted to figure out what my team was great at, what makes them shine and like, how can I pull that light out and make them, you know, um, get inspired to do the work they want to do to, they all come on my team specifically, they all come with like wildly different perspectives. And I think I'd be a fool not to give, you know, light to their perspectives and to make their perspectives like our, make our work better. So mm-hmm. um, that is something like distinctly, I didn't have a ton of in my career that I wanted to do differently. It's almost like when you're like, when I'm going to when I'm a parent, I'm going to do <laughs> so much differently. Um, yeah. But I think like I got like little moments in my career of, of, of seeing, seeing good leadership and then also being provided um, opportunities to lead. And especially like, trust myself and my own intuition and my own decisions um, that kind of like led me to where I am now. And I think I'm still by no means like a super seasoned leader. Like I think I'm getting more into it, but um, it has been the most humbling like year and a half of my life professionally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, What would you say it like, I mean, I'm sure this is a really loaded question, but what would you say is like a really good piece of advice or something that you hold on to for other women who hope to be leaders in creative or the marginalized who want to be leaders in creative? Um, what are things that have helped you get over like obstacles that you face? Hmm, that is a loaded question. That's hard. Yeah, no, um, no, okay. I don't shy away from those things. Um, for me, there's a couple of things and one is like find a really good support system And um, that could be, it doesn't have to be like a partner, but it could be like your family or your friends or um, even sometimes people you work with. But I really encourage 
other people and to have that, to have really strong support systems that will help them because being a leader is just really hard. It's just very difficult. Um, to me, it's like a thankless job sometimes. Um, and it's very different from being like a sole designer. It's extremely different. And I wasn't prepared for that change um, necessarily. And the other thing I think is like, recently I was on this video, like webinar, uh, uh, webinar thing. I don't even know what to call it. And someone in the participants asked, you know, what do I do when I'm the only woman in a room? Like, how do I handle that? Um, if I'm continuously always the only woman in the room. And my first thought was like, maybe find a different room. It's not that the onus is like on you to change it, but I honestly think I wish that earlier in my career, I would have, um, sought out things that were better for me earlier. Like, you know, sometimes you're going to be with people who aren't going to value the work that you do. Um, they're, they're, they're not going to, they might be too biased. They might be in their own heads. I don't know. And I think especially as a woman, and especially if you're a woman of color, there's just going to, the sad reality is there's going to be a lot of people who don't support you. Um, and so what I think is like, yes, you can push past those things. You absolutely can. And, um, I have done it too. It's exhausting. And I think that it's worth something. It's worth pushing. But at the same time, also find people who value you and, and value mm-hmm. what you do. And I think that takes time, unfortunately, to find. Um, but for me, those are like, I think the world will change. It is changing. But the for me, like the best thing I can do is cope with the way that it is and like give myself the best tools in order to cope with that. So for me, it's like support and then also like go where I'm wanted and valued. Yeah. And hopefully the people who follow after us have it like hopefully like, I don't know, for better or for worse, they look back on our time period and they're like, man, I can't believe so little women were. Yes. The power, like kind of like what you were saying, like we're watching Mad Men right now for the first time, by the way. It's pretty (laughs) crazy. It's like what you're saying is like, we're watching this show and we're like, I cannot believe you know, this is, I mean, that's just like life in the sixties. Um, but particularly on Madison Avenue is like, Oh my gosh, it's crazy. And you know, for us, like the hope, the hope could be that, you know, 30 or 40 years from now, people are watching a movie about the year 2020 and probably think it's insane because of a lot of other things, but also maybe think it's insane because there's so few women and power positions of power creatively or women or people of color, you know, whatever, whatever that might be. Yeah. I mean, I think like also, um, something like Mackenzie was saying earlier is that like, oh, are maybe are women like not promoted or given opportunities to become leaders. And I think like, that's a huge thing too. Like, I think that a lot of times people hire people who look like them and then like give opportunities to those people. So, um, I've seen so many workplaces where you have like a ton of men at a very senior level and then a lot of women at the like mid-level junior um, right. rank. And that's like, oh, okay, I see what's happening. Like women just aren't getting promoted. Um, they're not going up. And so I think especially like I try to do this with my own team. My team is like mostly women. <laughs> and I, that was not intentional, but like it just happened um, because um, I think like as a leader, you do have the power to like uplift other people. And so... Yeah. Um, I think especially like not making tokens out of people, but being like, oh, I'm going to actively try to create opportunities for people who maybe are underrepresented or they're not going to get this, this opportunity usually, or that sounds, that's not what I mean. Um, I'm, I want to scratch that because I think what I mean is that like a lot of times visibility is just like very low for people from underrepresented groups and they're 
they're often like passed over for opportunities despite having like just as much talent as everyone else and like just as much potential. Yeah. Um, let's talk about, let's talk about California versus New York. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So you're in New York right now on this podcast, but you have been living in California for a year and a half. You said I've been living there since January, 2019. Um, Yes. And yeah, so I lived in New York for many years. Um, it's still kind of like my home. Um, mm-hmm. but I moved to California to San Francisco to work with Figma and to try new things. I think like we're so adaptable. It's mm-hmm. so funny cause I just never really engaged too much in the California versus New York debate. <laughs> like I did not really care. And now <laughs> I find that it's like part of my daily life. Uh, <laughs> um, and so much so that my coworkers are like, Oh, did you, did you guys know, Tori loves New York. She used to live in New York. I'm like, all right, okay, I get it. You're like, I'm just gonna. You guys need to stop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so what's what are the like, main differences in the design spin specifically, but also just like in your life that you like? Are you loving California? Are you missing New York? A little bit of both. Um. Okay, that's a lot. There's many pieces to that question. Um, I like i guess a general difference but that also heavily applies to designs so, like people are just very different like i think culturally people are really different um yeah. and again like i've never i've never spent i haven't spent too much time in la so i don't really know about southern california and um and i also want to preface that i work in tech so that's like going to color all the things that i talk about um right. i think design wise um i just think one of the biggest differences is that in New York and and probably maybe in LA, I don't know. So correct me, but um, in New York, there's definitely, I think a a wider breadth of the type of work that people do in terms of like the industries they're working for, their output, um, the type of creative projects they're doing. And I think in San Francisco specifically, it is like so tech oriented. It is like very, very tech oriented and tech heavy. And so I'm no longer, you know, when I was very used to working alongside like photographers and writers and people who are animators and illustrators and all these different types of things for like fashion and architecture, magazines, et cetera, et cetera. In San Francisco, it's very difficult for me to meet creative people who aren't working in tech. Hmm. Um, So that's like the biggest difference to me um, right off the bat. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, LA is just like the most like diverse place ever. I feel like in a lot of ways. I don't so, know though. Like why? thinking about what she was saying in New York, like industry wise, I feel like here there's so much production that, like even compared to Chicago, which is where I lived before, there was like barely anyone in production. And here, like everyone that we know creatively is most likely in production. You think so? There's a lot of small design studios in LA though. That's true. I guess that's true. It's but, just like there's just so much of everything and this whole like product like Hollywood thing that like I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I like know. I feel like LA has a lot of small studios and small shops yeah. where I don't find that as often in SF. Yeah. Like, I was about to say yeah. like San Francisco doesn't like I don't think of like small I think of like big agencies that do all yeah. tech clients. Right. I don't think of like small like niche studios. Yeah. I don't yeah. Know. That's a I think that's a difference too in New York. Like there's just a lot. I mean, I, I've had so many friends who've like started studios in New York and they're like, damn, it's just so saturated here. Like it's so hard right. to stay afloat. Um, and then have tried to move on to other cities to hopefully make it. 
So I definitely think like LA and New York have that in common in terms of like small studios. But um, I, I think that just ends up actually influencing like the design communities because um, granted, there are a lot of people doing work in SF in the Bay Area that aren't tech oriented. Like I know a lot of them, but it's I just think it it's just affects the whole design industry there so much. Right, um, it's like a lens that you look through almost. Yeah, totally. I mean, yeah. I definitely ever. I think this is like public knowledge at this point to everyone I work with. I miss New York so much. <laughs> I, I love New York. Um, it's like where my people are, like where my family's yeah. East Coast based. My sister just had a baby and she's down yeah. in down in Florida, and so like in New York, it's just like a lot easier to get down there. But like, um, I'm, I do think like I am a New Yorker. Like I culturally just am, and I think like I fit not fit, but I just think like, it's just more my speed in terms of like how I talk, the way that I work. Um, I found that when I first came to San Francisco and I would give people like feedback in terms of their work, they found me to be like pretty harsh or they thought Mm -hmm. I was being harsh. And I just thought I was like critiquing the work. Um, that's just what I was used to. Like in New York agencies, you're what? I guess we're just soft out in California. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I found that like the, the like crit sandwich got used all the time of like compliment critique compliment. And I was like, no, (laughs) we don't deal with sandwiches. We just, in my my critiques, we are just like, this isn't working. We got to change it. (laughs) This isn't working either. Let's swap it out. You're not a bad designer, but this is bad. Um, Like (laughs) it doesn't mean anything about you. Um, And I think like that is, I do miss that, like a bit of that sort of um, Mm -hmm. bluntness and not beat around the bush. I think that's how a lot of people in New York work or seem to not like, you don't have to be an asshole. I just mean like, what's the Mm -hmm. point of like, you know, let's just dance around what we want to talk about. It's more efficient to just, you know, talk about it. Yes. Um, I do love, I do like California. I do. I don't know if I love it yet, but I do like it a lot. (laughs) I think that it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Uh, The weather is gorgeous. I'm also really in love with the light in San Francisco. I know that's like the most designer thing to say, but like the light, I don't know what it is, you guys, but the light quality, but it's like soft and hazy. And I'm like, oh, and sunset feels like it lasts for like three hours. Yes. I think it does. Like it is beautiful. Um, yeah. I, I find it, I find the pace of life to be quite a bit nicer. I think than New York and San Francisco, like it's just a little bit more easy to me. Um, mm-hmm. and all the greenery is very nice. Um, I also volunteer at a dog shelter every week oh, that I really uh, love. I love that. Um, that's amazing. That colors all my experiences. <laughs> I'm obsessed with that. The, that's the filter in which you view California, California, yes. dog yes. shelter, New York. Oh wait, no, you said tech for California too. Tech, well, tech and yeah, yeah. Both. no, but I mean, like the dog shelter is hands down the best thing I have found. It's so fun. I mean, like there's way more dogs than people. I think. Yeah, <laughs> I see them true. constantly. Are you um, not looking to get a dog yourself? Is that why you're in, into the fostering? You know, Mackenzie, I do want to get a dog, but I feel like I've just been traveling so much the last six months. That's why I kept not yeah. doing it. Um, and yeah, I mean, I work in a dog friendly office. I mean, now with the pandemic, who knows? But right. um, it's like, I, yeah, I don't know. I find fostering like really rewarding. I think it's very, it's a very hard thing to do. But uh, the first time I fostered and I, 
uh, this dog who was super shy and quiet and scared of everything wouldn't play. And then by the end of our time together, she got adopted and she would like play and run around and she wasn't scared anymore. And it just like warmed my cold heart. <laughs> your New York heart, your Brooklyn yeah, heart. I was like, I was like, look at that. Look at her glow. Look at her glow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, on the topic of, um, I don't even know where we were talking about this, but like big and small, you're talking about like big agencies and small yeah. projects is you, I think your portfolio, if you look at it, like the YouTube rebrand and branding all birds and things like that is like really huge stuff. And I was wondering if you, do you enjoy working on those kinds of projects for more or less for whatever reason, or do you enjoy like kind of smaller stuff that maybe nobody would ever see? Um, I mean, hmm. well, branding is my passion. Right. Uh, no, <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I mean, like they honestly all have like strengths and reasons why I loved working on them. Yeah. Um, you know, the YouTube one was done when I was at creative lab and it was like a very fast project. It was kind of like over the holidays, um, did not expect to do it. It was very quick and it was at the time I did it, I truly like was moving too fast to understand what I was doing and that like this mm-hmm. thing would go on to become the YouTube logo. I was just like, okay, 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 letters, okay. And um, <laughs> try to find a system, all right. Um, and I think with Allbirds, I mean, to me, I take every project seriously and I think I look at all of them uniquely. So when I'm in the middle of branding something, I'm not really thinking about like, oh, is this humongous or oh, is this right. small and, and you know, not going to be seen by that many people. I just don't think about that. Um, Mm -hmm. I try to think about the goals, the strategy, like the overarching objectives, things like that. And I, I think every project for me has those. So Mm -hmm. it's definitely like constraints are different. I think when you work on huge projects versus, you know, smaller ones, but I haven't done a ton of small brands to be honest. That sounds like a weird flex or something, but I just haven't, (laughs) I just haven't done like a ton ton of like, okay, okay. Okay, I know. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I've personally only worked on humongous, uh, (laughs) show stopping brands. Um, yeah, like I, Yes, I've only done award-winning work. No, I, I just like, <laughs> I just, I guess I just haven't done a ton of like small stuff. Right. Usually because I haven't had, um, I don't have the stamina to like work after work, in which like a lot of that work gets made. I'm truly 90 years old inside, so I get really tired <laughs> after a work day. Um, mm-hmm. And I really admire people who can like do side projects that heavily. Um, but yeah, Albert's. I mean, Albert's was actually super fun to work on. And mm-hmm. most of the brands I made at Red Antler were super fun to work on because well, one, I was like young and hungry. And um, two, most of these, most of these companies like did not have a name. They weren't like humongous yeah. yet. Allbirds was not big. It was just like this tiny company, two people um, coming from New Zealand and had wild fun dreams and put all of their hopes in us and their dreams and so that was really fun to work on and i remember that my creative director kept telling me to like be weirder and that was fun too um Mm. and so eventually i think these things like you know the way that all birds is now i don't really recognize it because of course like naturally it has gone through evolution and has adapted to its environment um but yeah i mean I love to do weird side projects. I do them all the time, but I, they're typically not branding projects, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You also you do that uh, gradient project, which is fun. Uh, yeah, that's what I actually was thinking on uh, thinking of. I've done a few gradient-based projects the past couple years. Um, mm-hmm. 
with people and different companies. And that's always really fun for me. And I don't feel like I'm working. I feel like I'm just like getting to make art. Um, and it is hard upon that like were you just kind of like messing around and playing with it and then you were just like dang I love these so much uh yes it came from actually like I don't think I'll ever remove this as my pinned tweet on Twitter um (laughs) there's like a tweet I have up there that's like if I can make gradients I would just do this all day every day and that was because I was I was freelancing um at an agency January of 2018 and I I think had E-Trade as a client for something and like E-Trade is not, you know, um, super wild. Okay. In terms of its right. brand. And I was trying in this first like exploratory phase to like go super wild. And I somehow just like stumbled upon making these gradients during that exploratory phase mm-hmm. and pretty quickly was like, Oh, this is never going to go past like the creative directors. Yes. Like this will never, this will never get anywhere, right. but I really loved making them. Um, and I loved playing with like color and light and like affecting the space in a very flat sort of document. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just like made them all the time. I just started making them all the time. And then I started making them along to music. And then I started using them almost as like a interpretation of my feelings. Um, oh my so no. that's what I do now. I literally, I just make them as I feel them. Like they, they truly all reflect something I was feeling or thinking or going through because I'm not a very, um, I try not to be someone who like, tweets lyrics or <laughs> like, um, like my deepest emotions if i do i like delete it <laughs> yeah, i'm not me. attacking it no i'm not i'm not attacking <laughs> that i think it's beautiful that you can be so vulnerable um <laughs> i but that's like how I, that's how i express my emotions these days is like making those things um mm-hmm. so it is actually a weird thing to do gradient work for work when it comes out of this very like highly emotive place for me yeah. Okay. So talking about Twitter, you say you <laughs> purposely don't don't tweet about Twitter. Don't Do tweet you, about graphic design. Don't tweet about graphic design. Is there a reason for this? Do you hate design Twitter? Is it annoying to you? Like it literally says on your website, I don't tweet about graphic design, and then you click on that and it goes to your Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think okay. And then this is like, no, Mackenzie, there's no shade to design Twitter. Although, yes, it is a garbage place at times. Well, Mackenzie doesn't tweet about I design. I barely know how to use Twitter, so. Yeah, no, I appreciate that about you. I like that about you. Um, <laughs> I just, I've always kind of been this way in which I do not like design mingling, I guess. Like, I've, I've never liked going to, like, I don't like going to, like, meetups or, like, <laughs> drinks with, like, other designers just because... Yeah. Um, I have gone and it's not that I hate making friends or I hate people or I hate people in graphic design. I guess what happens to me is that I work a full day and I've always worked a full day doing design. Um, I've been very privileged and lucky enough to have that as my career. Um, somehow when I'm done with the day of design, I'm like done with design. I don't want to think about it. I want to go home and maybe think about art or music or something else, but I don't want to think about graphic design. Um, and typically sometimes I do, but most of the time I don't. And so like for me tweeting about design or going to like a design event is just like an extension of (laughs) talking about this (laughs) about graphic design and like i just get so i'm an um introvert so i get really exhausted by like social interaction which i do love it but i get drained by it and so i'm like all right i'm gonna spend eight hours a day talking to people about design i just don't want to spend the other hours talking about design too um it's not it's not like an intentional thing i don't have rules around this i have (laughs) 
tweet about graphic design controversial um i just don't i just i don't like um I don't like tweeting only about design because I think that removes like your humanity. And one thing I always want is for other designers to become more human. I think like designers love to not show their whole selves to the world and that's fine, but I just find that like harder to connect to. So I'd much rather just show up as me, this human who happens to make work and design as opposed to like, Hey, it's me. I'm the designer. Right. Like yeah. whole feed is just design. You have no uh, profile photo. That's like half the design. Yeah. 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 I just mean like, like if 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 we've already established that we like make connections through the internet, we make friends this way. When I roll up to someone's Twitter and it is fully just like reblogged fast company articles and like design work, I'm like, oh, I just don't know who you are. I mean, I don't know who you are anyway, but I like, I don't know what you care about. I don't know. What are your quirks? I love when people share their life on social media. Actually, I like yeah. their real life, not the like fake life, but I love when they share their life and like the weird things that happen to them and the embarrassing things and the lovely right. things and the yeah. painful things. I just think that's so much more of a beautiful experience. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you lead oftentimes with like, I think, which I think is a really like great thing is that you often lead with like i care about people first like here's my design work i'm capable of this stuff but yeah i don't know i think you're really good at letting people know that you're human probably Thank better you. Than most yeah thanks i mean i just think like for me that's just what i actually care about i think when yeah. i go to work when i go to you know a job or i'm looking for a job or i'm working somewhere i think like the work is always secondary to me and the mm. people are, are first um, because I think that the people you work with will shape your whole entire experience. So right. who cares if the work is like fantastic and good looking and exciting if the people around you don't make you feel yeah. good and they don't inspire you. So I'm just like, all right, I want to be a good person first and I want to know good people and then I want to make good work, hopefully, but that's not right. as important to me. Right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. Tori, thanks for um, thanks for jumping on here today. I I feel enlightened and encouraged. Yes, like we always. love having you on here. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Thanks for having me. It was super fun. I miss you guys. Yeah, maybe we'll make another road trip up to San Francisco and eat at that yeah. one place where we eat one time. The Grove. The Grove. Shout oh, out! Yeah, shout dude. out the Grove. It was good. Yes. All yeah. right. Thanks for oh, having me. Yeah. Thanks, Tori. We'll uh, we'll talk to you soon and stay safe. Okay. You too. Bye. Thanks again for listening to the Mouthwash Podcast. For more information, you can follow us on social media or check us out at mouthwash.com.